All right, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It's good to be here. If the, if the video goes on any longer, I'll break into my moves already. But anyway, jokes aside, it's always so good to be here. My name is Sean, and I'm delighted to be able to continue this series called FAQ together with you. Pastor Timothy, I really enjoy his friendship, his leadership. Uh, we were together, together with Teresa in uh, the U.S., uh, finishing off, graduating our masters. But I, I want to share one thing about Pastor Timothy. Last year, when we were there in our summer, two weeks, Pastor Tim, being such a great heart, a great people person, he, every night, okay, both of us, he decided to invite two of our students every night uh, just to bless them for dinner, just to get to know them. And every night for the next 10 days, we line up two of our classmates just to get to know them. You know, how many guys, you are glad that we have such a, such a great pastor, Amen. So he is ministering in Damansara, and we do a kind of a swap this series. Okay, so FAQ, how many of you enjoy this series so far? Okay, I enjoy this series thoroughly to hear the different speaker, to talk about the different frequently asked questions. Today, uh, my topic is really the credibility of the Bible. We are talking about the credibility of the Bible. When we talk about credibility, it's really about the quality of being trusted, the quality of being convincing and believable. Right? We are actually asking the question, can we trust the Bible? Can we believe this Bible? You know, one thing I like about our Christian faith is that it is not blind faith, but it is reasonable faith. We can base our faith upon evidence, a reasonable faith. It is not a blind faith. How many of you remember your first Bible many years ago? Someone gave it to you? I'm sure a lot of you, it will not be an app version. Uh, I remember my very first Bible, I was 15 years old. I didn't come from a Christian family, but I was raised and born in Kuching. And in those days, there, were a, there was a missionary ship called Dulos that came. Uh, and my father took me to that ship and just to take a look, and I wanted a Bible. I saw this nice cover Bible. I was deceived. I bought, my father bought that Bible for me, and I bring it home. Very nice, colorful cover. When I open up the wrapper and open it inside, it's all words. <laughs> But that was my first Bible. I still have it at home. I don't know whether you remember uh, your first Bible. Maybe someone bought it for you. Maybe yours comes with a very nice bounded leather. Maybe some of you, you, some of you like mine, uh, the Bible comes with red letters, right? If it's the Word of Jesus, it has red letters. But the Bible that we have today didn't start off like that. Okay, it didn't, the first Bible or the Bible didn't start off completed, bounded like this. So today, as we talk about the Bible, we want to talk about the story of the Bible. See, a lot of us know the stories in the Bible, but not many of us know the story of the Bible. If you grew up in church, you will have known the stories in the Bible. Moses parting the Red Sea, right? Whether it is Jonah and the whale, we know the stories in the Bible, but not many of us know the story of the Bible, how our Bible came about. And I believe that the story of the Bible is almost an imp as important as the story in the Bible because it brings conviction and clarity to our faith. Let me start with this. The story of the Bible, the Bible that we have today, did not begin with Genesis. It began with Jesus. It began with the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, without this significant event, there will be no Bible that we have today. But because of this significant event, there are people who started wanting to document this account 
of this person and this event that took place. Well, Jesus was a moral teacher. He was a miracle worker. He lived. He died. But if he did not rose again, if he did not rise again, not many people were actually documented down. But because he resurrected and because it was so significant, people started to feel that it's worthwhile to document this event and to document this person. In those days, not many people can write. Not many people can read. And it's very expensive to write something. I was reading, it says that it was estimated it costs around 10,000 to 50,000 US dollars to write a gospel. Because there were many, those are written with animal skin. To write a gospel, can you imagine how many goats has to be sacrificed for their skin? And you have to kind of just sacrifice the goat, cook and eat, and then they will kind of do the process of the skin so that they can then copy it on the animal skin. It's very expensive. It's very time-consuming. So why would people want to document this event? Because it was so significant enough. Luke, one of the gospel. Today, we know them as the gospel in the Old Testament, but it's really four different separate documents. So Luke was a doctor. He was a Greek culture, Hellenist Jew. So when he documented this event, he, he wrote this. I'm going to read to you. He wrote, Verse 1, he says, Many has undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke was saying that many, not just him, but many has taken an account to draw up this event that has happened. And there were eyewitnesses around. Verse 3, With this in mind, since I myself has carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account, a document, for you, most excellent Theophilus. Potentially, he's the one that fund uh, the writing of this account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So when Luke was writing this gospel of Luke that we know today, he didn't know he was writing the Bible. He was writing for this person, Theophilus. He didn't know that in the year 2023 in Puchong, we will be reading his account, he didn't know. But the significant, the resurrection of Jesus was so significant that many, even though it's expensive, even though it's inconvenient, many has taken to write an account. John as well, right? The Apostle John, he is the, one, the, the only disciples that die of old age. And while he was exiled in the island of Patmos, when he was at the end of his age, he probably realized that I'm not going to live very long and I want to pass down the things that I've seen, the things that I've known about this Jesus Christ. What did he do? He started writing. Maybe people around him asked him to write, hey, John, you're not going to be here very long and why don't you write so that we can pass it on to the next person? So they wrote it down and John wanted, when John wrote this book, again, he didn't know he's writing the Bible. And he wrote it, I like this. He says, verse 30, chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Okay, by then it's not just the 12. It's not just the 120. In Acts, it talks about 500, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life 
in His name. So John was writing that account as if if you have only the account of John, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is all you need. He didn't know whether his little document will last a year, let even a century, let even now, 2,000 years later. So all these documents were written, meticulously copied, and it began to be circulated among the different churches. Okay, it began to be copied and then people will be carrying it, precious, um, preserve it, and then they will be traveling to towns, to cities, cities, and they begin to read in the Scriptures. And in, in, in congregation of small congregation, large congregation, when they read, they may not have the full four documents. Some of them maybe have a copy of Mark and one copy of John. Another congregation maybe have, they have Matthew and half of Luke. Maybe this congregation, half of Luke, because the guy who is carrying it, maybe he spilled water on it, spoil. So it was very sacred and very precious. And by 180, you have Apostle Paul writing letters to the specific different churches. So Jesus Christ died, rose again in the year 30, 33, roughly. And by the year 100, 70 years later, you have hundreds of these documents that is circling, circulating around. Again, no compiled Bible yet. Are you guys with me? All these little letters circling around, these four different documents, Gospels circling around. So the early Christians, they consider all these documents valuable. They consider them reliable. Why? Because they were eyewitness. It's easy to call out fake news. Because the documents, they have dates, they have places, they have name of towns, they have names. It's easy for them to call up if it's a fake news. It was reliable. And to this early Christians, they were sacred because it contains the word and the document, the deeds of their Savior, Jesus Christ. So it was sacred and inspired. And the 3A there, it's how the early churches recognized that these letters and these documents were inspired. It was the authorship who wrote it, the connection to the apostles. Number two, the acceptance how widely it was accepted within the different churches around that region. And finally, the alignment. Is it consistent alignment with God's uh, divine qualities and, and values? So these three kind of just take its own course whereby all these early documents was being circulated. Now you may ask me, Pastor Sean, what about the Old Testament? Right, what about the Old Testament? Now the Old Testament... It's already completed, compiled, undisputed even before the time of Jesus Christ. Before 300 BC, all the Old Testament has been, books has been written, all 39 of them, written, compiled, and recognized as authoritative scripture by the Jews, protected in the temple. So when Jesus and the other New Testament authors like Paul, when they write it, they often reference to the Old Testament. There was not a lot of dispute about the authoritative of the Hebrew Bible, which is today we know it as Old Testament. A quick recap, uh, that left in black is where the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible is already completed, compiled. The cross is where Jesus came. And the year 45 to 90 is where the different Old Testament books were being written. As I mentioned, it doesn't come in a, in a compiled book. It, it was various scattered documents and letters circling around. And the whole pink umbrella, it's really the New Testament Canaan process. And I'll talk about that later. But today, I want to draw 
still no Bible yet, okay? I want to draw your attention to year 303, Emperor Diocletian, whereby Rome was at its peak of its power. And Emperor Diocletian, he is threatened by the Christians because the Christians, in the early Christians, they refused to bow down to the Roman gods. And in the ancient times, they were very superstitious. You don't want to bow down to our Roman gods, you are making our Roman gods very angry. So whenever there's earthquake, whenever there's famine, whenever there's fire, they will, burn, they, will, they will blame the Christians. Because you did not bow down to our Roman gods, it made our Roman gods very angry. So finally, as the Christians begin to grow, Emperor Diocletian, year 303, issued uh, imperial persecution against the Christian. It's legal to persecute, to put the Christian in prison. And they went hunting for the Scriptures. It's interesting. Not many people can read. Not many people have the different letters because it's so sacred, it's so expensive, it's so valuable. But they recognize that the early Christians, they gather around the Word of God. They gather. So he believed that if they could destroy the Scriptures, they are able to radically snuff out Christianity. So they went hunting for all these letters. So in the churches, they have, you know, today we have musician, we have usher. In, in, in those ancient early churches, they have the reader of the Scripture. And most likely the reader of the Scripture, they will be the one that is safekeeping the documents. Not many people can read, so the reader of the Scripture, right? So when the persecution came, even though they go to the elder, they go to the leader, they may not have the Scripture, but they are willing to give up their life to not name the reader of the Scripture. Say, for example, with me, I have a good friend here, Joshua Siping. He's sitting right there. Maybe he's the reader of the Scripture. So when they come to me, I refuse to give up his name. And at the risk of my own life being sacrificed, my family being sacrificed, that is the extent that the early Christian went to protect the Scriptures that we have today because they believe it contains the Word of our Saviour. And they want the next generation of people to have that Scripture, the Word of God. So that went on for about 20 years. And if you know history, Emperor Constantine came into power and he cancelled that imperial persecution. And for the very first time, Jewish and Christian scholars can come to the open and to start compiling and to start collecting all these documents and to start copying all these documents, it, it paves the way for the compilation of the Bible that we have today. And only by the year 400, we have the very first compilation of what we have the Bible today. The year 400 compiled by St. Jerome, it's in Latin, it's, it's called Vulgate Bible. That's the very first compiled Bible in the year 400. Now, you may ask me, Pastor, we are now in year 2023. We are not there. Today, how do we know that we can trust the Bible? And I think that is a worthwhile question because if we were to ask people to live their life based on this book, if we were to ask people to surrender the values of the world, to follow the values of this book, don't you think it's worthwhile for us to examine and to wrestle with this question, is this Bible reliable? Like any other 
historical ancient books, they are tests that we place upon evaluating the authenticity and the credibility of all these books. The first one is bibliography test. It's a scientific test. So if you, are, you just bear with me. It talks about the number of copies that we have and they compare it and to test the accuracy of one another. And when they put the Bible, the New Testament, especially alongside with other historical books, the New Testament stands out beyond the rest. The New Testament here, they have more than 20,000 Greek copies and when they compare it together, it's 99% accurate. Copy. How many guys know that it's so easy to make mistakes? Last time when I was young, a student, I copied homework from the blackboard from the teacher, also I copied wrong, right? But 99% accurate as compared to the other historical books, Plato, Aristotle, it's pale in comparison. Even the four gospels, the four separate accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that in itself is rare. That in itself, the detailed account of an ancient person, it's already rare. That's the number of Manuscripts, the Bible stands out above the rest. Number two, internal tests. What do you mean by internal tests? This is cross-referencing whatever content, information in the Bible you cross-reference with one another. Parents, you probably are very good at this. Okay, I have uh, a 13-year-old boy going teenage years, and he has a couple of good friends around the neighborhood, school friends, four of them especially. Uh, this is just hypothetical, right? So let's say four of them, they, they tell us that, Dad, we're going to watch a movie in one of Tama Mall, and can you give me some money for lunch? I tell him, okay, here's 20 ringgit, or here's 50 ringgit, go and watch a movie and buy lunch. And off they go for the whole day. And this is internal test. And he comes back, and I ask him, Shane, what movie do you watch today? Or oh, X-Men. Okay, great. And I ask his friend, hey, Micah, just now what movie you guys watch? X-Men. Okay, fact check. That's internal test. And I asked my son, hey Shane, who, how, who, who among you went for the movie just now? All oh, four of us, four guys. I said, okay. Then later I asked the friend, hey Micah, how many of you? Oh, four guys and two girls. Hey. That's inconsistency, internal test, right? I asked Shane, hey, I gave you money for lunch. Where do you spend your money? Oh, we went KFC, that 20 bucks, all gone. I said, okay. I said, Micah, where do you guys go for lunch? Oh, we didn't go lunch. Ah, inconsistency. Okay, parents, I'm sure you're good at that. But the Bible, our Bible has 64,000 cross-references, right? If there is major inconsistency, it would not have stand the test of time. Yes, there are variations, about 400,000 variations. But high 90 plus percent of those variations do not have any impact on Christian doctrine. Are you guys with me? For example, the English word honour, H-O-N-O-R versus H-O-N-O-U-R. That's one variation. Does it change the meaning? Does it change anything? It doesn't. Or the word you and thou, that's a variation where they compare. Does it change the meaning? No, it doesn't. The only major, major discrepancy is the way Judas Iscariot died. One account talks about he died by hanging. He hanged himself. And the book of Acts talks about how he fell to the ground and his belly was open and it was eaten by worms. But it doesn't change the fact that he died, right? 
can those two incidents happen at the same happen? Yes. He could have been hanging on a tree for days and the rope broke and he fell to the ground and he broke. It's just like, let's say, a car accident. And we can say he died because he hit by a car. A medical doctor, as he does his medical examination, he can say, this guy died because of internal bleeding. Same incident, right? So that potentially is the most major discrepancy when it comes to internal tests. The Bible stands well in the midst of that internal test. Number three, external tests. These are sources, outside sources, that confirms what the Bible is talking about. I think it was Josh McDowell to say that every single information in the book of Acts can be verified archaeologically. Whether it's places, whether it's names, whether it's artifacts. Besides Christian source, the life of Jesus is well documented by as many as more than 10 historians. Jewish historian, Greek historian. These are external sources. If you, if, you are like, if you like traveling, you can go to all these places, right? Today, a lot of these ancient places, can, you can still visit them. If you go to Jerusalem, John 5, it talks about the, the Jerusalem, the Sheep Gate, a pool, Bethesda having five porches. You can sign up for tours and they will bring you to all these historical sites to bring conviction and clarity uh, to our faith. This is another one. This is found in British Museum. I was there in 2018 or 2019, I believe, and we were brought to see this Cyrus Cylinder. Okay, I took this picture. If you look closely, you can see my reflection. No, I'm just kidding, okay? I took this from the internet, but I was there. But basically, the cylinder, the clay cylinder documented the fall of Babylon and how Persian came to power and the edict of King Cyrus when he allows the remnants to come back. And we read in the book of Ezra, in our Old Testament, where King Cyrus allowed the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem. These are archaeological findings. And when you go to Greece, don't just go Santorini. Go to Athens. And this is Mars Hills where Apostle Paul preached about the unknown God in Acts 16 or Acts 17. He preached there. Up north is the, the streets of ancient Ephesus in Turkey today. And finally below is the island of Patmos in Greece where Apostle John was exiled. There is so many external sources that brings credibility to our Bible. And this is obviously one of my favorite, if you know, if you're a history buff, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The picture on the left, you see caves, you see mountains. These are caves and mountains to the north, to the north of the Dead Sea. And in 1947, this is documented in National Geographic, there was a teenage, guy, a teenage boy who brings his goats and sheep to search for food, right? And one of his goats went into a cave. And he took a stone and he wanted to scare his goat out. So he threw the stone into the cave and he heard a breaking sound. It's like a breaking of clay sound. And that's the middle, that's the clay, the, the, the clay where they put the scrolls, the Clay, the clay jars where they preserve all these scrolls. He heard the breaking and he was curious and he went in. And it was potentially one of the most fascinating archaeological find in the 20th century. For the next 20, 30 years, thousands and thousands of fragments were being dug up. And they found part, part of Isaiah scroll. And when they compare it 
to what we have, which is the Masoretic text dated to about a thousand years. But the Dead Sea Scroll was so significant because it dated a thousand years earlier than what we have to even BC. And when they compare the partial Isaiah, it was identical. It was more than 95% accurate. Isn't it amazing? It brings our Old Testament scripts that we have. We don't have the original. We have the copies of the copies of the original. Before these Dead Sea Scrolls, our complete version of the Old Testament dated around 900 years or 1,000. But when we discover these Dead Sea Scrolls, fragments as early as 1,000 years before what we have. And look at that black charcoal on the bottom left. That is a burnt scroll. Um, naked eye, we couldn't see anything. Obviously, because it's burnt, it's fossilized. They are not able to unscroll it because it will be brittle. It will fall into pieces. And that was discovered in 1970 and not much can be done until seven years ago, 2015, when they have invented the technology of 3D scanning. Scientists, it was a very expensive project they were able to do, it's just like x-ray, when they take the CT scan, the x-ray, because the Hebrew scholars, when they write these scrolls, they use metal in the ink. And because they use metal in the ink, they can use the 3D x-ray technology to digitally unscroll that burnt scroll. And when they digitally do that, you know what they found? They found the very first version of Marvel Comics. No, I'm just kidding, okay? Kidding, kidding, kidding. They found Leviticus 1 and part of Leviticus 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And interestingly, Leviticus chapter 1 and chapter 2 was talking about burnt offering. <laughs> this thing is burnt, right? And when they compare it, you can read it, it is identical. It is 100% identical to the Masoretic text that we have, which means that for a thousand years, the Jewish scholars were able to preserve their, 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 their scriptures. The only difference was ancient Hebrews, they do not have vowels. But when the Masoretic text, when they copy, when they put in, they, have, they, they included the vowels. But beyond that, it is identical, and it brings so much credibility to our word. Let me end. Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division and soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning and thoughts of intention of heart. When was the last time you allowed the word of God speaks to you? Millions of Christians before the year 1,500, before printing become a technology, millions of Christians would give anything to have what we have today. Thousands and thousands of Christians in the early church, in 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, they would give up even their lives for the Scripture that they do not have. They would give up their life to protect the Word of God because it contains the writing and the saying of their Messiah. But today, maybe we have taken the Word of God for granted, right? We have the app version. 
We can listen to it while we drive. Some of us listen to it while we sleep. <laughs> we have taken the Word of God for granted. All Scripture is God's breath. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When was the last time we allowed the Word of God to rebuke us? When was the last time we allowed the Word of God to correct us in our attitude, in our character? When, our, when was the last time we allowed the Word of God to train us in righteousness? so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through this journey, I begin to discover that it is not just man who wrote it, but there is this divine author, God Himself, who wants to reveal His will, who wants to reveal His heart to us. That the Bible, it is not a story of mankind, but it is the story of God that talks about creation and the fall and the redemption plan of God. And I pray that this message will inspire us to have a deeper appreciation and a deeper love for the Word of God so that we can read it, we can study it, and allow it to speak to us and allow it to transform us. Amen. Let me pray. I want to invite all of us to stand. We can just close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord. Father, forgive us if we potentially have taken the Word of God for granted. Forgive us if we have taken the Word of God lightly, Lord. When we know the story of the Bible, it helps us fall in love again with the story in the Bible. Father, we are reminded of the thousands and thousands of our early Christian brothers and sisters who would give anything, who would give even their lives and the lives of the families, sacrifice in order to preserve the Scriptures who believe it is valuable, reliable, sacred, and inspired. Father, I pray, God, even as we allow You to work in our hearts, help us grow in our love for the Scripture. That we will begin to embark on this journey of allowing the Scripture to speak to us. That we are not just satisfied with quick bites, quoting famous, popular scriptures here and there for our own needs, but allow us to fall in love with scriptures and study the scriptures in order that we may find you. And we find a God that loves us and who wants to reveal His heart to us. Oh, we thank you for the Word. We thank you for this whole many, many thousand years of preserving the Word of God so that we can know you today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.